Welcome, I'm Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast. This podcast is created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Penderecki in Memoriam podcast unveils a multifaceted portrait of Krzysztof Penderecki with commentary from musicians, colleagues, radio programmers, and writers who lend insight and memories of Poland's greatest modern composer. This podcast is part of Penderecki in Memoriam Worldwide Project, honoring the life and legacy of the great composer. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Founded in 1770 by Bernard Schott in Mainz, Germany, the Schott Music Group today ranks among the leading music and media publishers in the world, with branches in 10 countries. Since their founding, the company has added a wide range of services to their music publishing business, covering all aspects of music, including magazine publishing, teaching literature, CDs, books, ebooks, e-scores, and apps. These days, Schott has a particular focus on the publication of works by leading contemporary composers, including household names such as Karl Orff, Igor Stravinsky, Paul Hindemith, Gergely Ligeti, and of course, Krzysztof Penderecki. A family-owned company, Dr. Peter Hanser Strecker, whose Schott legacy dates back to his great-grandfather, has been president of the company since 1968. Managing nearly 200 professionals, Dr. Strecker has played a key role in the technological changes required in successfully running a 21st century publishing house. Dr. Strecker is here with us to discuss Poland's greatest contemporary composer, Krzysztof Penderecki. Hello, Peter. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hello, Mr. Horowitz. I'm delighted to be with you. Peter, when and how did you first meet Penderecki? Well, this goes back to 66, when I was in Donaueschingen, when there were performances of Trish, and I just was fascinated and very pleased. This also installed me to ask my grandfather, because I was not yet a shot, I just was a student, that Trish Penderecki has to become a shot composer and he believed in me and so our prokurist at those days went to Krakow and asked him if this is possible and it was possible. So when I was there, Schott finally in 68, he was already a composer of Schott. when there was a family or a birthday or a premiere occasion, I was with him. What were your recollections of Penderecki's 80th and 85th anniversary celebrations? Well, it was always a big event because he was and is one of the 
really leading composers and it was always an event which you shouldn't miss because to have a world premiere is always something very special. But when it is Penderecki, it is work which was unheard of until that time and was always a great artistic event which you shouldn't miss. Now I'd like to discuss four Penderecki pieces today that you are very familiar with. The Seven Gates of Jerusalem, St. Lucas Passion, Fluorescences for Orchestra, and Penderecki's first opera, The Devils of Loudoun. Composed in 1996, the Seven Gates Oratorio was written to commemorate the 300th anniversary of the city of Jerusalem. Penderecki first visited the Holy City following the Yom Kippur War in 1974. Based on texts from the Old Testament, Penderecki wanted this work to emphasize peace for this sacred land. It is first of all the age of Jerusalem and the importance of Israel for the whole world. It is still a location where many, many problems of the past are still prevailing and it is an incredible location.
I have visited Jerusalem many, many times, and it is such a unique city because all the Old Testament and the New Testament is represented in the walls, and therefore it is a must to see the city, which belongs to many different countries. So it's absolutely fantastic, and the whole atmosphere and religion, the problems, and of course surrounding, which more or less in reading the Bible. Now, of course, the piece is a massive undertaking written in seven parts for narrator, five vocalists, orchestra, and multiple choirs. It also makes use of a new instrument invented by Penderecki, the tubaphone, long plastic pipes that produce a very deep percussive sound that he wanted. And because an instrument such as this did not exist, he invented it, which is pretty remarkable. The written score must be quite a sight to view. Can you talk about that from the publishing perspective and perhaps how Penderecki notated for the tubaphone? Actually, because it was chromatic, the notation is pretty simple. But alone, the invention of this instrument is very special and everybody who are listening at the performance were surprised what it is. And when they see how it was played with little table tennis records, this was unique. The sound, everything. But that's typical of Trish, that he never stopped only using the normal instrument. He always were looking for new sounds and new ways to express what he wanted to express. Let's move to the St. Lucas Passion, which Penderecki wrote to commemorate a millennium of Polish Christianity. The musical settings contain Latin texts from the Gospel of Luke, as well as other hymns, psalms, lamentations, including the Stabat Mater. Written in 1966, and considering the atheistic influence in Eastern Europe at that time, I imagine this subject matter was considered to be potentially subversive to Poland's communist leaders, not just musically, but also in its religious content. Yes, and for me it was, of course, Penderecki work, which for the whole media and for the whole country performed in Münster, Westfalen, was an event extraordinary. I didn't knew it in advance, so I only could listen to it in the radio, but I was so convinced that this is a new work which I will never forget. And the first recording I bought, I still was not yet with shot. So I really said, this is such a masterpiece. It is very close to also the Bach oratorios and masses. And it was really a breathtaking world premiere of its own kind. Let's 
scored for orchestra, three mixed choruses, boys choir, as well as several vocal soloists, which include the baritone singing, the role of Christ, and a narrator who functions as the evangelist. The Passion uses many of Penderecki's modern musical devices, such as tone clusters, glissandi, and all the extended vocal techniques. quite an undertaking. Can you talk a bit about how it was notated? Well, the notation is always something very special and actually he reinvented the notation because he was designing when you were watching the process of composing. He was designing each piece, let's say, in the fashion of an architect. He had clusters which he was using and so the whole form was the first thing he wanted to design sign and then also the notation it was not for him necessary to have a specific tone no it was more the sound who should be created and this was so very well done and actually it was for many musicians a problem because this was not normal notation it was artistic notation and it needed also a lot of explanation how to play it This was for everybody a big challenge to learn this new notation, which also gave on the other side a new way not only to look at music and notation, but also to create new sounds and completely new feeling. And this was a very special. And it was also for us, actually not with this work, because this was published still by the Merck publisher, but all the other works which we then took over have the same necessity to use his handwriting and uh, transform it into a score which can be easily chiffrated and really put into music. And this was only possible for specialized writers for his notation and we were very happy to have found these special writers which mainly were Polish people. So at those days the whole process was not easy because it always needed to ship the note from one side to the other and at those days we still had the iron curtain between us and many other cumbersome problems. So this was really a big event and a challenge for both sides. Considered to be one of the most important large-scale choral works of the 20th century, The Passion's 27 sections proceed in its sequence of narratives, arias, and choruses, and all the while display a stark simplicity and directness, a practice Penderecki often insisted on, no matter what the music was doing. Can you talk about the complexity of his music and his insistence on making the music direct and simple? He had a very clear understanding, like an architect. Really, this is, I think, a very good comparison. And therefore, it must be simple, he said, and everybody should play it, but they have to know how the different figures had to be read. And this was something which we constantly had to explain the players and the performing artists. And this was not easy. And it was not easy also to make the new signs in such a way that they are 
comparable, that they are easy to read. So this was really a big challenge for us. And we always had the transportation time between his location and he was not composing on one place. He was always zooming around. And so this was a big logistic issue also. And then there was the time pressure. So everything comes together. And this was always a situation that we were very glad when the work finally was finished and we could deliver the performing material and the performance took place in time. Okay, let's move to Penderecki's Fluorescences for Orchestra. The period following the war brought governmental support for the arts and was also characterized by restrictive censorship. Then with the overthrow of Stalin in 1956, a new spirit of individualism took hold and Penderecki, who was born in 1933, benefited from this change greatly. Obviously, these new freedoms led to many of his early compositions. Yes, definitely. Fluorescence is probably the last piece where he could show that he managed the sound. music which is defined by special tones know that everything what has a sound was introduced and the way the instrument was played was absolutely reinvented by him so this was a new age for music and it was very imaginative whatever he wanted to express he did in a language which most of the people didn't know yet but it was very efficient and effective premiere, Penderecki described fluorescences as a work without pardon, unorthodox tonal apparitions and all manner of noise effects radiate from the score like fluorescent objects. This liberated sound, of course, went far beyond traditional instrumentation, which was Penderecki's declared aim for the piece, and could only be achieved through rigorous experimentation using new playing techniques and dynamic contrast. was really for him a great way to create something never heard before and to have a new age. And this 
was maybe also the work which created that he was the most avant-garde composer because all the other composers at those days were using mainly electronic means. But the way that he was using normal instruments, which were definitely used a little bit different in the past, this was very unique and very efficient. And I must say, it was really breathtaking to listen to these pieces. Senses presented the use of Penderecki's innovative and signature graphic notation. His early sketches, in large part, were written using multicolored ink with various passages notated with felt tip markers and pencil. They looked beautiful, and we also printed only the scores as they were as a piece of art. I personally was very happy that we had such a modern composer and he reinvented the whole question of notation. Pedretti was able to have not only new music created, but also new scores and also leading to new ideas in yourself, listening to the music, what was possible. So actually he opened the door to completely new ways in the best way. For a publisher, it was a big challenge because we couldn't use these graphic notation alone as performing material. So we had to translate it into, let's say, modest, normal notation and this was a big challenge on the other side together with him we managed this task i think quite well so all these notations were never really published and they lay in krakow and this is something which we can present to the world i hope in close time for a full complement of strings, piano, and six different percussion sections, the piece also utilizes the flexiton, sirens, sega, and a typewriter, effects that go well beyond what's heard in polymorphia. Performers are instructed to hum while they play, to saw wood or iron with a handsaw, to rub percussion instruments vigorously with a metal file, and to rub the soundboard of the string instruments with an open hand.
1962 published score contains a more extensive list of symbols and abbreviations than any of his works before or since. Yes, this is a unique way how he wanted to show that music can follow much further steps in a different direction. It is the uniqueness of his whole career that he not only wanted to use the music notation as it was, he wanted to create everything anew and find new ways to express and find new ways how to notate this. And this was absolutely unique. Actually, he was not the first one who did this. There is Lokotetis and many other composers who had so-called musical graphic uh, but in this instance, you couldn't probably listen to the music because it was so open notated, nobody knew how to transform the notation into sound. And therefore, Penderecki was much more down to earth and down to sound. Everything was possible, really, to transform into fantastic new pieces. Now, immediately following Florescence's, Penderecki then turned toward the past for inspiration, writing in a more traditional style and with a lighter experimental hand. Oh, yes, it was very easy to find this sort of new style because the critic didn't like him to do so. And they always said, well, you stopped to be avant-garde. Now you are just a noble composer who sounds more traditional than ever. He was not happy about the statements. On the other side, he said very clearly, I don't have to be always avant-garde. I just want to write nice music, music which gives me the feeling and the assurance that this is important music and therefore he became in some of his compositions rather traditional. Okay, let's move to The Devils of Loudon. Commissioned in 1969 by the director of the Hamburg Opera, Rolf Lieberman, the three-act Devils of Loudon is the first and most popular Penderecki opera. Emblematic of the composer's interest in traumatic historical events, he based his libretto on Eric Fried's German translation of Robert Whiting's 1964 play, which was in turn the basis for Aldous Huxley's 1952 historical study. Drawing its storyline from the mass demonic possession in the town of Loudon, France, the piece explores the execution in 1634 of a French priest accused and convicted of sorcery. From Huxley's perspective, the execution is a complex incident that involves personal obsession, political intrigue, and the dichotomy between central and local power. This allegorical thematic construction, illustrating Huxley's political commentary, denouncing the inequities committed by the totalitarian state, were not lost on Penderecki. The 
Hills of Loudon, where the first work where I was with Schott and he couldn't finish the work because he was traveling too much. So he had to finish it in Mainz. So I was present when he finished one of the so-called torture scenes. actually very impressive for me to see him, how easy he used his imagination. Oh he never had seen a, a torture scene and therefore the way he created these aspects was really wonderful and very touching and it was unforgettable evening with him and our editor and actually it was the beginning of our very close friendship in the future. The whole libretto was a confrontation with normal opera libretti who were mainly very old and was the topic, everything was much more modern and the way he presented the whole thing was also very special and I record this performance. It was to a certain extent a scandal because the nuns on the stage were open owner, how do you say, bare breast and this was only of course a short scene but everybody in the press commented on this and how incredible it is to present such things on the holy floor of an opera house. So this was the one side. On the other side, it was his first opera. And I must say it was a masterpiece because the whole dramatic structure was incredible and very demanding on one side, but very great in all what he wanted to express. So it was really a fantastic occasion for me to be present at such a world premiere. Of course, the work has become one of the most important 20th century operas, and even the orchestra plays a role not only supporting the vocal lines of the libretto, but also serves as its own commentary in a way the orchestra resembles a soundtrack for the action on stage. I think it's a very good way to interpret what happened on stage. Yes, it is the vicinity to soundtrack, I think is brilliant, observed. And this is definitely something which is very true. And this was also probably one of the reasons why this opera became so prominent and so successful. The piece, of course, was revised in 1972 with two new scenes added and a scene from the first act removed. Other scenes were regrouped and the instrumentation in the first act was modified. Then in 1975, Penderecki added two more scenes in the second act. And this version is now the one that is generally followed. I knew that it was not so easy to find the uh, right people to go on stage and perform these works. 
we wanted to make it more easy to be installed on stage. When he started, he had many other ideas. And of course, he wanted to make it much more interesting and easy and not so striking against the normalities. So this was a good reason to have it even more successful. And as we've been discussing, and as to be expected, the opera initially received mixed reviews, even in Poland. Criticism of the various sound effects, which in the minds of critics produced more of an atmosphere than a dramatic effect. The piece was not so popular at the beginning, but then it became more popular. This is always a problem with critics. It is better to have a not favorable critic, but a successful work. With the success of many performances, I think everything became now very moderate. Nowadays, you think, oh, what happens here? And of course, it has a very close relationship to religion and this terrible way how religion was misused in Middle Ages. And therefore, I know the Catholic Church had problems with this work. Dieser Menschenkopf erfüllt mich mit Erwartung, mein lieber Adam. Okay, he liked, of course, when he writes an opera to show the audience that he had new ideas uh, how to present this very old way of well composing. Guten Abend, Meister Chirurg und Meister Apotheker. Guten Abend, guten Abend. Monsieur, das war ein schöner Tag. Ja. Allerdings, was habt ihr in diesem Eimer? Den Kopf eines Menschen, eines Freundes, eines Verbrechers, der Leichnam wurde abends vom Galgen genommen. In closing, what are your recollections when he passed on March 29th, 2020? Oh, the death of him made me very, and still makes me very, very sorry because it was shaded by the COVID-19 aspect. And when you know that he was not feeling well in this difficult time because of Corona, you not even were able to visit him or to come closer to him. And he was actually locked from everybody. So this is really, I think, a very sorry story, which you never could redo it. You couldn't repair this situation. He died under circumstances which were very unfortunate and this makes me very sorry. But on the other side, he has left huge oeuvre which is absolutely unique in many ways and this is what we see with great gratitude that he was also able to compose so long because his last words, uh, he was already far uh, over 80. And this is really unique when you see it uh, with other composers who stopped composing much earlier. And so we are very thankful, especially me, that I had 50 years together with him, 50 years of absolutely the greatest variety in works, in performances, in countries. So yes, it is composer of its kind and I don't don't see who can succeed him. So thanks to him, I'm very happy that I had such a long time with him as a great friend.
And what more than anything did you learn from Penderecki, both as a musician and a man? Well, first of all, what could I learn from him? I think I had the opportunity to be very close with him because I visited him many times in Prague. And there, especially the birthdays, always a perfect way to meet him. And when you compare him, especially with other composers, he was very imaginative and he was always trying to write masterpieces. he has left now as his artistic thinking. This was actually the main lesson I learned is that he didn't want to repeat himself. He wanted to have his own language and he wanted to have music he would like to listen to. And if he has this desire, hopefully the audience will have similar feeling. When he was composing. I don't know any normal living person that he could copy the way he did it. He traveled, as you know, great times every year. And in order to fulfill the deadlines of finishing a new piece, he had to constantly compose, disregarding where he was and in which location, etc. So I thought of already to describe the travel aspect of all his composition, where he started a composition and where he finished it. And this is a very unique way. And I'm sure there is no composer who comes close to him in such a way. I think also very special that he took all these problems on his account in composing wherever he was. And absolutely fantastic that he didn't have to get in the mood to compose or, or he needed a silent room. No, even like when he was composing and many friends were there. He felt motivated and this whole aspect I think is also very important because it's one aspect, one facet of his artistic life. I think this is only half of the story. Schisch, when I met him, he of course was already married with Elspeta and Elspeta was such a charming and so beautiful lady that being also a photographer, I took many pictures of her. And when I came to Poland the next time, I had to open all my luggage and on top there were big printouts of Elspeta and the people there immediately recognized that it was her and were only interested in, in me telling about Elspeta. And this was actually the easiest passport control ever because they were not interested in what I had with me, but that Elspeta was there and there was a nice pictures. So this only illuminates her importance she was actually his other part of his life.
all the celebrations after performances or together with birthdays or other big events. She was organizing this. She was doing a fantastic job and speaking so many languages and treating everybody personally. This was really unique. And one very important part of his success was also due to her existence, to her fantastic way how she could handle so many people. And she is actually the ambassadora in excellence in the whole music world. And therefore, I'm very happy that she is still there. So this is, to a certain extent, Trish lives through her still up to date. Dr. Peter Hanser Strecker, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to discuss the great Krzysztof Penderecki. Thank you, Mr. Horowitz. I was very pleased that I was invited and I liked it very much, all your questions and the way that Trish is made still alive. This is Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki In Memoriam podcast, created by Anna Pejanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute New York. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Shot EAM for sharing Krzysztof Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Make sure to subscribe.